0: Frankie, come. Come on. Frankie, come. Good boy. Good boy. Sit. Good boy. Down. Down. Good boy. And stay. Stay. Good boy. How about you? Can you sit down and stay for the next half hour? This is Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. Hello there and welcome to the September 2019 edition of Spotlight on Assistance Dogs. We do have a guest a little later on in the show, but first I wanted to share a couple of brief articles with you. The first is regarding the United States Federal Aviation
1: Administration. Final statement of enforcement priorities regarding service animals by the Federal Aviation Administration. On Thursday, August 8, 2019, the Federal Aviation Administration, FAA, put out a final statement of enforcement priorities regarding service animals. The statement responded to comments provided by a myriad of advocacy groups after an interim statement was issued in May of 2019. This final statement supersedes previous statements. The new statement provides several provisions that positively impact the travel of guide dog users. First, service animal users are not required to provide advance notice to airlines before they travel with their service animals. Airlines previously proposed new policies that would require up to 48 hours of notice before a passenger flew with a service animal. However, the final statement prevents airlines from doing so for people flying with service animals. Airlines can only request such notice if the flight will exceed 8 hours in length. This guideline allows for service animals to fly more easily without having to pre-plan before trips. In the instance where the flight will exceed 8 hours, an airline can then ask for documentation that the dog will not have to leave on the plane. Also, the airline can request early check-in for such situations. Next, if a situation presents itself where an airline employee questions the legitimacy of a service animal, the airline employee is allowed to ask limited questions concerning proof that the dog is a service animal. Limited questioning is comparable to the three questions business owners are permitted to ask patrons under the Americans with Disabilities Act when the legitimacy of a service animal arises. Finally, a request for documentation is only permitted when determining whether a dog poses a direct threat to other travelers or airline employees. If an employee believes a service dog poses such a threat, the airline is allowed to ask for documentation to demonstrate factors such as the existence of vaccinations, the behavior of the dog, or the history of the dog's training. The best use to determine what documentation is permissible is that the documentation must be reasonable to believe that it would assist in determining if the dog poses a direct threat. The final statement also stressed that breed and age restrictions for dogs are impermissible. The FAA stated that a notice of proposed rulemaking should be issued in the fall of 2019. ACB encourages you to submit comments at that time.
0: There was a website where you could go to for further information. But it was a ridiculously long one, so I suggest that you contact your nearest chapter of either the American Council of the Blind or the National Federation of the Blind for further information. Here's an article now that's a heads up for guide hearing and service dog handlers in Norway.
1: Mysterious disease killing dogs in Norway. Norwegian authorities haven't been able to detect the cause behind an unexplained disease that is estimated to have killed dozens of dogs in the country in recent days. Officials said Saturday, the Norwegian Food Safety Authority said that it had been informed of another six cases of dogs falling ill with two of them already dead, all with the same symptoms. The Norwegian Veterinary Institute said Friday that it had detected two unspecified bacteria in autopsies, but was unable to clarify whether that was the cause of the outbreak. The investigation is ongoing.
0: Let's listen to a little bit of music before we speak with our guest. Here's, I bet we can write a song about that. And the author? Well, I don't know. If you know, I hope you'll let me know.
2: Albert is a blind man. With a dog. The doggy is his best friend. What a dog. It travels with him everywhere, by his side, on the ground or in the air, because he's blind. He's had the retriever ever since it was a puppy. It's a guide dog. Now Albert's on an airplane. With his dog, they're taking U.S. Airways A flying dog, the flight's delayed two hours A restless dog, that's orders from the tower Because of fog. Doxy the Retriever's getting bored With all the waiting, she's a guide dog The flight attendant said your dog had better sit tight Or else the captain told us to throw you off this flight We can't allow a dog to run up and down the aisle said hey why all of us if you throw them off we'll all just take a bus so they all took the bus to New York 150 miles if you're on an airline us air and like Albert if you're blind they don't care if your plane is sitting still in the fall just give your ducks a minute drill Andrea would If he's sleeping on the floor, then everybody's happy with your guide dog. Good dog. Sleepy dog. Guide dog.
0: Here in Canada, September has just been proclaimed National Guide Dog Awareness Month. And I thought it was high time that... I had a chat with somebody from the school where I got all of my four dogs. So here's a conversation that I had with Steve Doucette, who is the assistant to the chief operating officer at Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind. Well, first of all, Steve, thanks very much for uh, being on the program with us. My absolute pleasure. We've heard a lot in uh, previous episodes of this program about uh, the Lions Foundation and also CNIB. Maybe you could start by telling us where Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind is and how it got uh, going.
3: Yes, by all means. So uh, in the early 1980s, we were still lacking a guide dog training organization in Canada and uh, a few organizations were were founded around the same time, but our origin starts uh, with uh, Bill Thornton and Jane Thornton, who are two founders, and uh, they came from England specifically to start a guide dog training organization in Canada. So, Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind was founded and incorporated as a charity, uh, January 12th, 1984 is the exact date. And July of that year, we graduated our first guide dog team. Now, since that time, we're up to uh, uh, nearly 800 guide dog teams that have graduated. Uh, We introduced an assistance dog program, a very small program, in 2010 in the local Ottawa area. And that's where we're located, uh, in the south end of Ottawa. It used to be an independent village called Manatek, but it is now part of the city of Ottawa. And our National Training Centre is located in Manatek. So all of our clients from anywhere across Canada actually uh, come to Ottawa for a three-week training course when they receive a guide dog. All expenses are paid uh, by the organization, and we operate solely through donations. So in the beginning, it was a very humble beginning uh, when when Bill and Jane uh, came to Canada. They started with uh, a rented townhouse, And uh, converted the garage to a kennel, and uh, it it literally started with, uh, you know, one person, one dog, and and big dreams. Wow. Yeah, and because it was new, uh, not only in the Ottawa area, but really to Canada, guide dog training was really new at this point. And a lot of people were very excited to be part of it. So there were a lot of people in the area that wanted to be involved as as volunteers and, and raise puppies for us amongst other volunteer duties. Of course, uh, we needed, you know, funders and donors and people that wanted to be part of the uh part of the, the the founding of it and the groundbreaking of it and and whether it's, you know, on the board of directors or advisory roles or whatever the case is. There were a lot there was a lot of interest. And the organization flourished very quickly. So that rented townhouse uh, was only around for a few years and shovels were in the ground in 1987 and our national training center uh opened in 1988.
0: All right. Uh so now, um I take it that Bill and Jane had some guide dog uh, connections before coming to Canada. Yes, definitely.
3: They they had <coughs> worked uh, in the industry in the UK and uh, had a very uh, strong, you know, resume and, and and background um in order to to begin, you know, it was a very specialized uh, charitable uh dream, so
0: to speak. Mhm. So now you say that uh, you're funded solely by uh, donations. You don't get any government funding or any service club funding?
3: That's correct. Uh, so that's kind of a blessing and a curse. The the blessing mm-hmm. is as a registered charity, we are independent. and we can make our own decisions. Uh, basically, the body we answer to is the International Guide Dog Federation, uh, especially as far as training standards go. They make sure that everything's above board and we're doing things as we should. But we're allowed to make our own decisions in-house. There's no government interference. So that, I guess, is, is the blessing. The curse, of course, is the lack of funding.
2: Yes. Um,
3: so we have to get all of our own money. So we're lucky as, as a charity with uh, with a lot of donors. We, we have our annual operating budget, and we don't have a lot of what I refer to as white knight donors, so we don't have somebody coming in or a corporation coming in and saying, here's a million dollars this year. <laughs> um, but again, we, we won't be pulling the plug on any sort of funding like that. So the way we operate, really, we have a lot of donors and a lot of individual people in the community that give, you know, $20, 50 $100 once or twice a year. Of course, we do have a few larger donors and corporations and, you know, corporate donors, but but the majority of our funding comes from everyday people in the community who just, you know, love the idea of, of what we do. So whether it's, you know, the, the sole purpose of, of helping people and giving back independence and, and mobility and freedom to people, um, then we get people that unfortunately don't think of that part of it they're more on the dog side and love dogs but you know we're happy to to take their donations as well quite honestly.
0: (laughs) Sure yeah how do you think your training uh, how, how do you think your training differs from what is being done in the United States where a lot of people used to get their dogs before you came along?
3: Well Incredible organizations all fall under the umbrella of the International Guide Dog Federation. So training training standards are very similar, but there are subtle differences with every organization. So what we usually say to people is, you know what, everybody has a personal choice as to where they'd like to go, whether it's in the U.S. or another organization in Canada, but why do they choose to come to, to Canadian Guide Dogs for the Blind? And and that's what we like to do is sort of toot our own horn and, and tell people what we think sets us apart. So one of the things that we we think sets us apart is, first of all, our puppy raising program, our puppy walking, as it's originally called, the Mm -hmm. UK term, where people uh, as volunteers take a puppy into their home for the first 12 to 18 months of the puppy's life and teach obedience and socialization and lay a solid foundation and groundwork for the puppy before it moves into formal guide dog training. Now, a lot of organizations do that, but we feel that we have a very highly supervised program. So we even have people that have never had a dog in their life and they come into us as a puppy raising volunteer and you think wow why would you want somebody with no dog experience but they're they're a lot more willing to obey the rules and guidelines that we have which which of course um, correlate to this dog becoming a guide dog so because it's highly supervised we don't just send our puppies anywhere we're a national organization but our puppy raising program sticks to the local ottawa area and through to the greater toronto area and the reason for that is so we can highly supervise the puppies and the families that are raising them, and we feel that makes a better quality dog at the end of the day. And I've heard a lot of people really compliment our dogs as some of the best guide dogs within the industry, um, especially here in North America. One of the other things we feel sets us apart is our aftercare program. So lots of organizations, again, have aftercare and follow-up, um, but it's something that's very, very important to us. We don't just, you know, train somebody and train a dog and give them a dog and say, here, you're on your own, call us when you need another one. We're we're there with a media follow-up in their own community. Uh, we visit six months after they graduate at least once annually, and and we're there in between to resolve any issues. Of course, you know, Part of the economical way of doing it is to try resolve issues by email or telephone calls if we can but in a worst case scenario we travel to the person's home community and and work with them and their dog so it's it's a lifelong relationship often for us it's it's not just a case of okay they chalk up another another dog and another client and here's another number to put on the tote board it's it's a case of that person is now part of our guide dogs family at canadian guide dogs and and you know we we often have people back for uh you know consecutive or you know retraining on, on consecutive dogs and people have been here for you know two three four and even five dogs at this point since 1984 some of our original clients have been back that many times and and often it's a lifelong relationship so that's very important to us
0: i call that annual visit a, a driving test
3: yes a little bit and, <laughs> and you know what that's a great analogy Devin, and i i often use um car and driving analogies with, with people in, in the public because that's something that resonates with them. And, and what I usually say to people um, that have no idea how things work is I say, imagine if I, you know, 20 years after you got your license, if I make you go to a driving test. You'd fail probably if you drive the way you do every day. People don't have their hands at, at you know, 10 and 2 or I think it's 9 and 3 now they're supposed to do. They have the radio on, they're eating a sandwich while they're driving. People develop bad habits, and it's the same with somebody with a guide dog. Often they take shortcuts, and it might be something that works for them and that specific dog they're using, but it may not on the next one. Or it might be something that works temporarily, but you're actually developing bad habits that could become a safety issue down the road. So, so yeah, it really it really is like, you know, doing a driver's test all over. Yeah. Again.
0: Mm-hmm. Do you ever do any uh, home training, like going to people's homes?
3: do home training per se but as part of our aftercare program we do training in somebody's home community so so really to explain it better is people come for a three-week training course at our National Training Center they graduate at the end of that go home with their guide dog now we take everything they've learned all the principles they've learned in the training in the Ottawa area and basically apply it to their specific routing rooting and daily routine in their home community so the courses in Ottawa Um, But with the immediate follow-up aftercare of a couple of days, um, we also do work with them in their home community. Most of our training is residential training. We might make the odd exception for somebody that lives in the Ottawa area, uh, but we feel it's important for somebody to come to our National Training Centre. The residential training is something we think is important. A lot of the reason is the bonding. Um, You know, when you're asking somebody to literally entrust their life to a dog, especially a first-time handler who's never had a guide dog before, um, that's absolutely huge to say, here's a dog, trust it with your life. And and you really have to have that strong bond and connection. And we just feel being away from home, focusing on the training, not worry about who's picking up the kids at school and who's making dinner tonight and what time is, you know, the wife or husband going to be home from work and how do I fit this into my schedule, this is your schedule. You come and train and it's like going away to school morning till night of course, there's off hours, but we want you to focus on your dog, caring for your dog, bonding with your dog, and training with your dog, and, and we feel at the end of the day we're going to have more successful guide dog teams by doing it that way.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, speaking of uh, training methods, do you use uh, clicker training? It seems to be uh, quite popular, popular these days, and I'm wondering if you use that.
3: Yes, we do. Yeah, indeed. Um, and, and even down to... Uh, know, to our puppy walking program, our puppy raisers. Um, you know, we do whatever it takes to, to basically have the outcome of a, a good, uh, a well-trained guide dog, you know. So, so for example, um, with labs and retrievers, especially, of course, they're very food-oriented. We try to do praise reward as much as we can, but sometimes you have to revert to food. Um, so, you know, we'll use a piece of kibble out of their daily intake of food, basically. You know, I, I kind of explain it to people where if you feed a... A dog, uh, a cup and a half of food in the morning, you might give a cup and a quarter and keep a quarter cup in a Ziploc bag throughout the day, and that's how you basically reward the dog. So they're not having a a daily food intake more than they should and not gaining weight and staying healthy, but at the same time getting rewarded. So we try not to do things like that if we don't have to, but uh, clicker training is certainly part of the whole process as well.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, you mentioned earlier that you do have a small uh, service dog training Program? Do you ever do uh, training for any dual-purpose dogs? No, ours
3: is strictly uh, two separate programs. So we were founded basically to train guide dogs, mm-hmm. and that is predominantly what we do. All of our dogs that uh, are bred with our own uh, canine development and breeding program, they're raised with the intention of them becoming a guide dog uh, for a person who is visually impaired or blind. If at some point in formal training we see that the dog either isn't capable of doing the job or just doesn't want to do the job, then we may consider moving them into our assistance dog program and our assistance dog program is within two hundred kilometers of Ottawa only, and it's strictly for mobility related disabilities. It's a very, very small program and to be truthful, Devin, it's a secondary program for us mm-hmm. our Our bread and butter, so to speak, our primary focus has always been and will continue to be guide dogs for the blind. But we had a couple of dogs every year that we deemed, you know what, they, they actually show signs they want to work, but there's just something about them where they, they, they can't get away from natural instincts or can't you know, take on the role of a guide dog but would be able to help somebody in another fashion. So, so that's why we decided to start that program in 2010, but it's, uh, it's local and, and small and, and probably will
2: stay that way.
0: Now, I know you were talking about fundraising. Um, did I hear uh, a rumor that you might be building a new residence? At this point, it's certainly much more than a rumor. If anybody drives by our
3: property, it's pretty evident at this point. But, yes, we're, we're building basically a couple of replacement buildings to our existing uh, buildings. So our National Training Center property includes a residence for our clients when they hear training and also a separate building, a kennel building, for our dogs that are in the formal guide dog training program. And we are uh, basically very close to opening two new buildings. Wow. We will keep the current buildings. They'll be renovated and used for another purpose. That'll be kind of phase two of the project. But we're really excited to have these two new buildings. They're really going to enhance what we do. Um, and it's not necessarily about expansion. It, it might increase our, our production numbers and how many guide dog teams we put out uh, a little bit. But it's more about just being modern and staying with the times. And, and one of the examples that I always give where, where people go, yeah, okay, that makes sense. It's, it's a very simple example, actually. But right now our clients share a washroom facility. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically when clients come and train here, two clients will share a bathroom. Well, there are a lot of people now that, when they travel, they don't like the idea of sharing a bathroom with a complete stranger. But you've got to do it for the three-week training course, mm-hmm. and if you're a germaphobe, on top of that, imagine that. So, <laughs> so everybody will have their own uh, their own ensuite within their individual dorm room. They'll have their own kitchenette, which wow. is something new. They'll have their own patio access, private patio access, to relieve their dog instead of having a a shared space and taking turns. So all of these things will, will really enhance what we do, and it'll be a, um, like I said, we're, we're, we're great at what we do now, and our facility is, is really fine. After, mm-hmm. after 30 years, it's still in pretty good shape and everything runs fine, but this is about really making it that much better and um, enhancing what we do for the comfort of our clients. And, and the more comfortable the client is here, um, the more relaxed they're going to be, the more they're going to, be able to take in and learn and and all of it leads to a better success at the end of the day uh, Mm -hmm. for somebody and their dog.
0: And when do you expect these buildings will open? Is there an official opening?
3: Well, there will be. We haven't set a date yet because uh, anybody that knows construction projects, there there are always delays Mm -hmm. and setbacks and just perfectly laid plans never work out. But at this point, uh, the exterior of the buildings are nearing completion. So tentatively, we're looking at probably January of 2020 to open our kennel building, and our new residents will be ready close to around the same time, but we don't have clients in residence in the harshness of winter in Ottawa in January, February. So, so we're looking at our first class of 2020 to open the new facility, so those will be some very lucky clients to, to be the first uh, group to to live in the new residence, and that'll be uh, March or April once we get our training schedule set for next year.
0: Yeah, Terrific uh are there any annual fundraisers that you do
3: we do a lot of our fundraising is is smaller in nature so your typical things we have a community dog walk in ottawa people are welcome to walk in other communities as well to uh, to help fundraise for that it's called dollars for dogs we do a golf tournament every year we do a garden party and tea a fundraising motorcycle ride so a lot of typical things that many charities do um a lot of them are smaller in nature, but it's it's as much about getting our name out and awareness as it is fundraising. Of course, we want to make money off of these events for for the sake of uh, operating through donations, but but a lot of it is just an excuse to get out into the community. Because if we you know go to a golf tournament, for example, um, we might you know make five thousand dollars off a golf tournament, but there might be somebody there who just likes to golf, and a friend brought them out for the day, and they had no idea that we even existed or what we do, and and something touches them. Um, you know we have a speaker at the function who has their guide dog and, and they tell their their story personal story and suddenly that person becomes a regular donor so so it's it's about getting out into the community and making people aware of what we do as as well as you know fun events that uh, that people enjoy participating in
0: if someone would like to find out more about canadian guide dogs for the blind where where can they go
3: the simplest spot is our website, of course, which is Guide Dogs .ca. The .ca is very important; otherwise, you end up at uh, another wonderful Guide Dog organization, but unfortunately, they are in California. Mm-hmm. So guide Dogs is our website. We are on social media, Facebook, uh, Twitter, and Instagram, but the website is the the basic spot to go. It's, it's you know, it's a very basic website with general information, but all of our contact information is there. And if somebody wants further information, um, you know, and it's it's, it's not. You know, really in-depth on the website, we're happy to take inquiries any time put anything. We, we as a charity, feel it's very important to, to be transparent and open. And, you know, there are so many things, as you know, Devin, within within the, the realm of guide dogs. I mean, puppy raising is one thing, and then people want to know, how do I donate? And I know somebody who's lost their sight or is losing their vision. How do they get a guide dog? What's the criteria? I mean, there's just so many questions and topics and things that people in the public aren't necessarily aware of so we're we're happy to communicate with anybody and educate them all the time
0: okay is there anything else that i should have been asking you about i
3: don't think so i think we covered most of it i was really excited to uh to talk about the new facility because mm-hmm. you know 35 years on operation and this is uh this is you know since the founding of the organization this is our largest expenditure and we it, it's really really huge we've we've been lucky to store away some donations of course this new building is all funded by donations so we have a campaign where you know we're, we're taking donations specifically to help with the uh, with the construction project and the building project but more importantly it's about the clients and then you know most of our staff here are Especially those who would with work with the clients, we're, we're really excited because we we can't wait to open the door and have an official opening, and we can't wait for that first group to come in here, and they're just going to be uh, just you know just floored at the amenities, and, and you know, and then add to that the you know the the, the case of receiving their their dog on, um, on the second day that they're here. It's just going to be a really exciting time.
0: It sure is an exciting time. Uh, Thanks very much, Steve. I really appreciate you chatting with us. And and that website again is?
3: GuideDogs.ca
0: All right. That's great. Thank you, Devin. That'll just about do it for this time. Thank you so much for listening. And I do hope you'll join us again on Friday, October 18th. We'll let Walter Brennan take us out now with probably my favorite Dog Recitation, Tribute to a Dog. Bye for now.
4: The one absolutely unselfish friend that a man can have in this selfish world, the one that never deserts him, the one that never proves ungrateful or treacherous, is his dog. A fellow's dog will stand by him in prosperity or poverty, in health or in sickness. He will sleep on the cold ground where the winter winds blow and the snow drives fiercely. If only he can be near his master's side. He'll kiss the hand that has no food to offer. He guards the sleep of his pauper master as if he were a prince. When all other friends desert, well, that dog remains. When riches take wings and reputations fall to pieces, he is as constant in his love as the sun is in its journey through the heavens. Now if misfortune drives the master forth, an outcast in the world, friendless and homeless, the faithful dog asks no higher privilege than to just be with him to guard against danger and to fight against his enemies. When the last scene of all comes and death takes the master in its embrace and his body is laid away in the cold ground, no matter if all other friends pursue their way, there by the graveside will the noble dog be found. His head between his paws, his eyes sad, but open in alert watchfulness faithful and true even even in death
1: you are listening to the global voice radio for all.